Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. New favorite nickname for um, a prospect was given to me by Rowan, and it's for Cole Perfetti. He just casually referred to him as Goal Spaghetti. And I have not been able to shake that out of my head the entire time. So I can't tell if I really, really, really want Detroit to draft him now or not at all, because that will be a devastating way to think of Detroit's newest best prospect. Yeah, you don't want that. (laughs) That's all I got. Goal spaghetti. I'm immediately, I I was coming around on Cole Perfetti. It's over now. (laughs) You just pulled the floor out from beneath you, eh? No, yeah, I'd rather draft Sanderson now. Uh, well, I mean, don't stop or don't let that stop you from thinking there isn't something as ridiculous for Jake Sanderson. Honestly, when we were looking at our uh, prospect profile calendar that you sent us not long before, my brain just wasn't working. Um, I have a big, smooth brain lately, and uh, it like truncated the name, and I saw Jake Sanders. I'm like, what the hell is Jake Sanders? And I think it's just because I, it's because I did a, a fancy football draft. I was like, Sanders, San- Miles Sanders, Jake Sanders. I don't. I really don't understand. It took me probably thirty seconds to to put that one together. It's not even Monday, is it? Oh, it's Thursday. I genuinely don't know when we start recording what day of the week it is. Like, I actually have to like check the date on my laptop to know whether it, this is a weekend episode on a Sunday night or if this is a Wednesday slash Thursday midweek episode. It all melts together. I just generally don't know what day it is. Yeah, full stop. Uh, I was gonna say we would keep we'd be able to keep track of time just by Evan's rounds of golf, but I think you golf throughout the week and the weekend consistently. Yes, so it's very tough. Yeah, it's hard. You got a tough life, man. I know. I will somehow make it through, I think. <laughs> All right. Uh, lots on the docket today on the Winged Wheel podcast, but welcome to the show. I am Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. Oh, and I'm Evan. Yeah. Getting to my bedtime yeah. again. Yeah, so it goes. Uh, lots to talk about in the hockey world. In terms of actual hockey content, um, of course, the playoffs um, have progressed since the last time we spoke. Um, there has been a pretty huge trade. Uh that depending on who you ask is rather is either completely lopsided or kind of fair. Uh, Robbie Fabry extended for the Red Wings. Uh, more discussion on how that might affect other RFA deals. Um, Red Wings overseas and Red Wings prospects or potential prospects overseas have begun to play, including Philip Zadina. Um, but first and foremost, what we are going to be talking about is um, literally just hours before we started recording the NHL's decision to um, postpone um, games that were to be set for tonight, Thursday, August 27th, and then tomorrow, Friday as well, with a presumed resumption on Saturday. So um, if you guys remember not too long ago when we had the discussion um, just around the time the the NHL started to get involved with the social justice movements and um, where everything kind of came to a head quickly with the protests around, I mean, around the world, really. Um, we dedicated some time at the beginning of the show to that. And we like to acknowledge when things take a pretty stark departure from the typical hockey content. And uh, not everyone 
tunes in and has just the you know emotional or mental capacity to want to listen to that at that time they might you might just not want to hear about it at all um i'm pretty exhausted all the time um and so uh if this is something that you want to tune out of uh skip ahead by all means um please do um just a few minutes, or I don't know, five, 10 minutes. I, hard to say as I speak how long we're going to talk about it, but just skip ahead until you start hearing hockey ho- content. So that's your fair warning um, in case this isn't your cup of tea today. Um, totally understand. But for those of you who want to stick around, um, we will dive into it. So uh, we were just chatting about this before we started recording. Um, it kind of feels like everything happened fast. And I haven't been on Twitter a lot over the past, I mean, weeks um and i it it, i I feel like i might have missed some steps here but it looks like everything just kind of boiled over uh and came to a head quickly again um this started in the nba and it was in response to a a few different different incidents around the states and i think it was the milwaukee bucks first so yeah go ahead so the timeline roughly um milwaukee obviously being the closest team to the Jacob Blake incident being so obviously all eyes would be on the Bucks, fairly or unfairly so they had their game scheduled against Orlando yesterday nobody knew what was happening Orlando literally took the floor for the game the buzzer sounded to end warm-ups and to commence everything and the Bucks still weren't on the floor there was a 10 to 15 minute window window there of just sheer confusion online as people wondered if they were boycotting, if they were playing the game, if they weren't, if they were forfeiting, like what was happening. And actually it's technically not a boycott. It's a strike, but whatever semantics doesn't matter. Um, and so then the magic left the floor. We got word the bucks weren't playing. Obviously, that news traveled very fast around the sports world. Um, in the NBA, the rest of the teams and, and the players specifically for that night said, yeah, no, nope, we're not going either. We stand in support of the Bucks." Um, the Islanders and Flyers in hockey were playing. They were on the ice when this happened. So there wasn't much of anything to do with that because you're not walking off in the middle of a game. The NHL being the NHL and being generally slow to react to everything just went on uh, basically business as usual, gave a bit of lip service uh, in some pregame ceremonies, if you want to call them that, or speeches, whatever you want to call it. Moments, we'll call them moments. Moments, yeah, where they acknowledged it and, and did their whole BLM speech and yada, 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 in what felt like a typical NHL, hey, we're trying to come out on the right side here, but we don't want to be too controversial. To, I think three MLB games got canceled la- or got boycotted uh, last night. Um, the rest went off. So this morning, the NBA announced they were postponing all their games today, uh, but they would resume the playoffs because a lot of people were legitimately wondering if the NBA was just done. They're just like, okay, we've had enough of this world. Bye. Like, you guys don't deserve to watch basketball. We'll see you later. But they determined to... Uh, resume the postseason what that looks like as of this moment i don't i think i don't think i've seen an announcement on anything just that they will do it um the nhl and mls in solidarity also postponed games today still don't have an announcement what's going on it sounds like 
we probably are getting hockey back tomorrow. But Saturday. Again, they Saturday? said today, today and tomorrow today they're and postponing. Tomorrow? Okay, Saturday. Yeah. Again, don't know what day it is. Um, so then that's where we're at. That, that was kind of the timeline. So, I mean, it's it's real hard to judge the NHL on this one because it was fast last night. But the NBA did it, and a bunch of baseball teams did it. So the NHL could have, but didn't. And and this is very on-brand for the NHL. They want to be on the right side of everything, but they don't want to go too far. They like walking the middle, I had like, which I mean, most businesses do, honestly. So it's not like they're this evil empire, but not exactly what you'd like to see in a time like this. Yeah, the NBA, the MLB, and the WNBA um, all, you know, took those stances and decided to postpone games. Um, the NHL, here's the thing, like, and this isn't to say that they're justified in a, in a slow or perceivably slow response. I was blown away that they even got to the point where they had, like, premier players like, you know, Taves and Sagan saying, like, recognizing the the nuances of the the movement that's happening and saying like black lives matter and and understanding like how like the the difficult concepts that were were being put forward and challenging social norms and all that like you don't get that from hockey players you do you typically do not get that from professional hockey players and the nhl um and initially when the nhl was one of the uh, slower leagues to respond to this all i could think of was you know, like the NHL stretched itself by its own standards the last time around, and I'm I'm kind of shocked that they're even responding at all. I was kind of I w- I was really truly fully expecting them to just play through it and just say like you know have more pregame things. We need to specify one thing very clearly here, though. This mm. was not the NHL. Oh, I'm getting the, to that. Yeah, yeah. This was the players. So whether you are for or against this movement. Whatever your emotional reaction is should be, if you're going to heap hate or praise, it's going to the players. Yeah. At first, I feared that this was the NHL's response and it came down from the top and said, no, we messed up. And now that it was like kind of a PR safe face, but it's, it's come out after, you know, press conferences today and the players, uh, speaking and the uh hockey diversity alliance speaking, it was really good to see that this is a player's initiative. Look. I'm not going to mince words here. I understand a lot of people don't see how postponing games solves anything. And here's what I'll say to you without getting too far into this argument. Um, This isn't meant to fix everything now. That's not what the players or any of these leagues are pretending to do. It's a show of solidarity and it's a show of support. And it's it's a recognition that some issues are bigger than sports. And these things can be put on hold to push attention towards, um, you know, prominent issues that, that these players and society and a lot of society is, is trying to bring to the forefront. And like Brad said, the players are the ones who drove this. Um, the, the press conference that I saw today with all of those players in attendance was kind of, again, remarkable. I, I was not expecting to see that. Um, Ryan Reeves, Kadri, uh, Bellamare, uh, Horvat, um, all spoke. Um, uh, Dickinson is the last one, yeah. And it was good to see, like, Reeves was talking about how he didn't know what to do because he thought he might have to make a decision of whether or not he would 
walk out and be one of the only players and one of only a couple players um or he'd you know play and and that was conflicting to him but then he woke up to texts from a lot of players from you know different teams and the eastern conference not just western conference teams wanting to know more and and it was who was uh, there was a, a call with like a hundred plus players on it with like Dumba leading the conversation. I, I, I don't want to get too specific and name names that weren't actually involved, but this was a, a broad call between players in the bubble and basically uh, players who represented the hockey diversity Alliance, the, the newly formed group um, out of from June, I believe it was, it came about. Um, they spoke and they educated and apparently like players wanted to know more. Uh, and not just you know black or brown hockey players like white hockey players wanted to know more and they wanted to learn and they wanted to figure out how to stand by their teammates and their peers and their rivals um and that to me is is enough of a statement no matter how you fall uh where you fall on on this form of protest like this is the players initiative and i was worried at first that it wasn't and it's good to see that it was uh hockey it's hockey's gonna be back in a couple days we went months without it we'll be fine and i i don't see how anyone could argue that this didn't work because as you started at stated right at the beginning of of your spiel there is this isn't going to solve anything of course it isn't an issue this big is going to take years if not decades to solve if it ever gets solved but the only way it gets solved is if people are talking about it and because all these sports teams boycotted, went on strike, whatever you want to call it, we're all talking about it. Jim's talking to it up ba- over at the water cooler. Every sports network's talking about it. Every podcast is talking about it. Non-sports fans are talking about it. It's about raising awareness. There is, what, 99% of the population of North America now knows the name Jacob Blake. So the player's goal in all these leagues was to raise awareness. They have succeeded. You yeah. Again, no matter what side of the argument you fall on, this worked because all they wanted was to get the conversation going and they have done it in a big way. And it's a continuation of, of a lot of what they brought forward uh, a month, couple months ago. And I think it was June. Again, time to... <laughs> just keeps melting together i cannot assign months to it confidently but i believe it was june and uh evander kane and matt dumba spoke to that a lot they said like you know we did a lot of like listening and learning and that doesn't stop and here is when you can act like this isn't just performative here's when you can stand with your you know you know your brothers in the nhl and stand shoulder to shoulder and like i i'm not gonna lie seeing this picture of all those players standing behind you know Kadri and Reeves and and everyone else it's like these aren't you know only black players or only white players or only brown players these are NHL players who are standing with each other and and that was um good to see and even 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 though the NHL is the smallest of the major North American leagues I'd argue it's the most there this was the league where it was the most important to do this because the NHL has the fewest black players by a lot out of all these sports. So you can sit here and say, how can the NBA do this? Well, a majority of their athletes are black. Of course, they're pissed right now. How could the MLB and the 
while the NFL is not running, but how could they do this? A majority of their players are directly affected by the problem. Anybody with a brain can see why they'd be mad. The NHL is predominantly white. And the issue right now isn't with black people because they, they're the ones this is happening to. So unless the predominantly white leagues, which I think the MLS would fall under as well, unless they jump on board, nothing happens. It, it, it's irrelevant for the most part, right? So it's good to see the Bo Horvats and the Jason Dickinsons of the world jumping to the front of this because we know Revo and Dumba and Belmar and Kadri would be at the front of this again because they're directly affected. But it's it was so important to see the rest of the league, the Robin Leonard's, the Tyler Sagan's stepping up. Yeah. And like, I'm going to selfishly add my own perspective here. Like I'm a person of color involved in the world of hockey and I'm also uh, a numb, jaded, calloused asshole. And so those two things led me to the point where, you know, I was talking to friends about this and I was like, I don't think the NHL is going to sit out. And I had no emotional response to that. Like I was just like, I didn't think I don't think that this is the league that's going to do this. I think the NBA is going to do it. I think the MLB is going to do it. I think if the NFL was in full full force right now, I think we might be looking at a couple NFL teams or the whole league, you know, doing something. Uh, but I wasn't expecting the NHL to do it. And so, yeah, to further Brad's point, I think it's important for for the NHL, based on everything that he just mentioned, to do this kind of thing. Is is racism solved? God no, no. Is you know, even racism in hockey solved. No, not even close, not even a little bit, but there's awareness. There's a conversation that is now ongoing and it's, it's brought to the forefront and the players themselves, this is a player run initiative chose to utilize their platform to bring this up. It's going to be controversial. There's going to be people mad at, you know, us, People who who take a stronger stance, people who uh, take a weaker stance, people are just going to be angry in all directions. It's important just to have the conversation, and that's what the players uh, wanted, and that's where we are. So as that develops, I think we're still not even through. Like We said hockey is going to be back Saturday. That's not even a guarantee. Like That hasn't been put in writing yet. Like I think the decision to postpone yesterday or today's games and tomorrow's came like... 90 minutes before we hit record on the podcast. So um, that's still developing. So if this is out of date by the time you're listening, you know, we do our best to be clairvoyance, but um, my uh, investment portfolio will tell you that I'm not so good at it. It's it's 2020. We could have infinity more disasters by the time uh, anything gets announced. Because did everybody else see the the news about the possible square dancing hurricanes approaching? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, what? So I was reading this news report. It's it's unlikely to happen, but apparently it's possible. This could have been an Onion article. I didn't dive too deep, so disclaimer on that. Um, there's two hurricanes that are kind of relatively close to each other that are coming up the one current. And I guess there's a phenomenon where if they get close to each other, they kind of like start to pull each other. So it almost it's it's incredibly slow but it would almost look like they're going around in a circle like a square dance so you know who had square dancing hurricanes on their calendar for 2020 uh it's one of my friend's birthdays today and we were on like a zoom call with her and we were just like laughing about how like shitty 2020 is and she's like i just can't help but think that 2020 is going to be better 2021 is going to be better right like it can't get worse than this and i was like hey careful (laughs) careful with that can't just go throwing that out there uh 
Yeah. I won't test 2020 anymore. I've already written off the year. We joke, we're like, we're going to screw it, like, just say, forget it and put up a Christmas tree just to have any kind of semblance of happiness. Any NHL player that wears the number 20 needs to change it immediately. Yeah. It's actually so bad that it's gotten Evan to drink during podcasts. And you don't usually do that, Evan. I have the past few. Have you actually? Yeah. It's either Sunday night when I need it or Thursday night when I need it from work. (laughs) (laughs) What do you need it for a Sunday night to sleep? Uh, no, just relaxing after two uh, rounds of golf. I t- oh, I was, yeah, there it is. It was like a tough Sunday, huh? Yeah. Um, all right. Back. Yeah. Well, don't tell us about your extracurriculars, Evan. We don't need to know that. That's for that's Patreon exclusive. Yeah. Um, before that gets too spicy. Okay. Hockey. What do we want to start with? The trade or the signing? You guys decide. Signing. We're the Red Wings podcast. All right, we're going to start with uh, Red Wings specific news then. And that is going to start out with the first, A, the first bit of happiness for Red Wings fans in a long time, and B, the first bit of anything impactful Red Wings roster-wise in a long time. And that is Robbie Fabry signed a two-year extension for an average of $2.95 million a year. So that is an RFA. He was up as an RFA, uh, and he just signed that two-year extension um, for sub $3 million cap hit. I'm going to put it out there. Thrilled. Oh, how could you dislike this contract? Uh, Is Robbie Fabry going to score at a near 50 to 60 point pace every year no of course not his career shows that he's usually a half a point per game player except when directly coming back from massive knee surgeries um is he a line driver no but he's cheap he comes in at roughly what is it the three quarters of a darren helm with like with about triple the production yeah, yeah. I, I will take that 10 out of 10 times. He is capable of filling in on a top line, can absolutely thrive on a second line, uh, was thriving on a second line despite not having a second line center. Um, and again, in a season, his first full season after major, major surgery. And the big benefit is, because I know I saw a bit of this floating around on Twitter and it was my first thought initially when it's like, oh, less than $3 million. That's nice, but the Red Wings have infinity cap space, so does it really matter? And it's only two years. Well, yeah, it matters because if they want to take on bad contracts, they need that cap space. They can't yeah. just sign Robbie Fabry for four mil, Mantha for eight mil, Bertuzzi for six mil, call it a day. And then all of a sudden the Canucks come up. Hey, we'll give you a first round pick for Louis. If you take Louis Erickson and the Red Wings go, shit, we can't fit him now. So huge. Um, the one thing I didn't actually bother to check in on, I think we were talking about over messenger, but we never established is she still an is he for sure still an rfa at the end of this deal ufa his one year of injury and i i messed i had this instinct in my head but i didn't i didn't trust my gut but he is a ufa at the end cap friendly okay. did originally list it as an rfa but they corrected it because his year he missed completely was a hockey related injury it still counted as a year of service as an rfa okay so it's a prove it deal for fabry because that next contract is very likely to be the biggest contract he'll ever get in his career, whether that's from Detroit or not. He's got two years to cash out because he'll be 26 at the time. So yeah, if he wants to sign a five plus year contract, you got to put up two big years, bud. And 
I mean, Detroit still is in the driver's seat here. If after the first year and a half of this contract, he's still performing at his 40 to 50 point pace. Detroit's in a great position because 26 is not a bad age to throw a reasonably long-term deal at a player. So you've got the, you've got a half a season already under your belt of figuring out what Robbie Fabry is as a Red Wing, and you've got probably another year and a half to two years to figure it out. So it'll be a calculated bet on Eiserman's part, and it's a very calculated bet on Fabry's part because, again, he's, he can't underperform now. If he has a yeah. week, two seasons... I mean, he could be talking about the difference in tens of millions of dollars in career earnings. Yeah, we're looking here at a, a contract that is perfect for all parties. It's Robbie Fabry, whose career was given a, a big booster shot when he um, was able to kind of escape the grasps of playing on a Stanley Cup contending team where he couldn't break the roster because of either devastating, repeating knee injuries or just extremely strong players ahead of him. So when he came over to Detroit and produced – what he just won himself is a contract that is no longer, you know, sub 1 million league minimum or near league minimum. Um, and it gives him another lease to kind of prove it. And anyone you talk to who plays with this guy says like, Hey, Robbie Fabry's driven. This is a guy who wants to succeed and is determined to prove how skilled he is. And we, ha- we do see how skilled Robbie Fabry can be. Um, a two year term is a fantastic term for steve eisenman to be signing him to right now um if he gave robbie fabry a four-year term i wouldn't be upset if he gave robbie fabry a five-year term for the right price i actually wouldn't be upset i'm pretty confident in robbie fabry's um abilities i wouldn't want you know mega dollars of course but i think that this is a guy who as long as he stays healthy has some staying power at that half game or half point per game or a little bit more than that mark but let's say you don't have the confidence i do two years is perfect it's a prove-it deal, um, and Eiserman doesn't obliterate the cap space just because it's there. Now, I'm not going to harp on Ken Holland for RFA contracts because I think he was actually really talented at negotiating RFA contracts, and we've seen that time and time again. Larkins, Manthas, Bertuzzi's, like, those are Ken Hall. That's that's one of his specialties. But in general, what we've seen in the past when Detroit has had a wealth of cap space is Eiserman just throwing it at free age, like UFAs. And it's nice to kind of get the reassurance that there's a GM here who's not going to just do that and who recognizes the importance, obviously, uh, of keeping that cap space. Steve Eisenman is excited to try to use his cap space. Will he be able to is, is a different question. I mean, it's not extremely common, but then again, we're going to get to a trade later. There's almost no rules when trading in the NHL anymore. There's no rhyme or reason. Um, no, I, I thought this was excellent. And I saw some stuff about, you know, Robbie Fabry, is he actually technically worth blah, blah, blah. Okay, look, Robbie Fabry is exciting. He is actually one of Detroit's best forwards, which is a little bit sad to say, but it's true. Um, he's young. He's He produces more than uh, nearly anyone else on the team. And it's not a gross overpayment. I actually think it's great value. I'm happy with it. I'm really thrilled. Mm, yes. Um. The thing that comes next is, so he's a UFA at the end of it, and that's fine by me. I mean, if he has two huge years, then he'll get paid. But Eisenman, which we've seen in Tampa Bay where guys sign and you're like, how are you signing for so cheap? Um, is really good at negotiating um, UFA deals for his strong players. But how does this affect 
Or how does this inform your opinion of how the Mantha and Bertuzzi contracts are going to go? Well, it's a good sign because if Eisenman's able to keep the cap hits consistently low like he did with Fabry, it's, it'll be a big win. I think this helps with Bertuzzi because I, I know it's going way back and it, and it really doesn't matter anymore, but it, it's at least somewhat noteworthy that Bertuzzi and Fabry played together in Guelph. Um when they were in the OHL and, and Fabry was the driver of that team. Like Bertuzzi was like number two or three on the pecking order of that, that team. So who knows where Fabry would be right now? Had he not blown out his knee? Cause at that point in their career, everybody was certain Fabry was going to be light years ahead of Bertuzzi. So, I mean, it's good on Bertuzzi and it's unfortunate for Fabry that, um, everything progressed the way it did. Um, but this is something Fabry is at least somewhat of a comparable for Bertuzzi because they points per game, et cetera, et cetera, track record, relatively short NHL career to this point. There are some comparables there. Obviously Bertuzzi a bit more of a certainty, more familiar with the team. But this this gives me hope that I don't think Bertuzzi's contract's gonna go too far north of five million, honestly, yeah. for a supporting player, because he's a supporting player, Fabry's a supporting player. The only difference between the two is certainty with Bertuzzi. You have a bit more of it. Uh, I'm not even going to call it certainty. We'll call it comfort level. Mantha, it's it's so different. I I have this this does nothing to sway me about what I think is going to happen with the Mantha contract because that one's likely going to be very long term, and that one's going to be likely close to double, well over double if not triple, what Fabry just signed for. So that's an entirely different stratosphere. Uh, two things. First, I always like to try to figure out when Evan's researching something related to what we're talking about based on his expressions. Like he'll start like leaning forward and squinting. I'm like, oh yeah, he's definitely looking up <laughs> stats right now. I was reading a list. Yeah. Um, and then secondly, I think you're right in that this does inform a lot on Bertu- the Bertuzzi contract. Brad, I would actually be surprised if it reached five million. Yeah, I I really hope it doesn't. I mean, if you talk to new, depends what segment of the fan base you talk to but there is a bertuzzi for captain segment of the fan base which like i hate you know what there's no captain right now so by all means to whatever horn you want but yeah there's a lot of people who are either really high or um see some fear of the justin abdicator scenario in bertuzzi i don't for the record we don't think that that's what's going to happen with bertuzzi's career trajectory i think bertuzzi will go shorter term maybe not two years before the flat cap came about, I would have said Mantha definitely long term. And now I just don't know. I think Mantha might take another short term deal to try to bet on himself once the money starts flowing back into hockey and the cap starts rising again. So here's the difference, though. If Mantha's taking a short term deal, it's a one year deal. The Red Wings are not walking him to unrestricted free agency like they are willing to do with Fabry. They got Fabry for essentially nothing. So as much as it would suck to just out and out lose him to free agency after the two years, I mean, it's not the end of the world from an asset management standpoint. Anthony Mantha cannot be walked to unrestricted free agency. He's If I'm Steve Eisenman, I if he wants to talk short term, my number is one. And if he doesn't want to talk short term, I'm not starting with anything shorter than a five. So I'm going to go. So I offer him if it's a one year deal. Oh, we have again. You don't want to offer cap space, but if if he wants to take seven eight million for one year, Detroit still got a lot of cap space. They'd still be able to get some bad contracts in. But I don't even think I would do that if if I was Eisenman. I'm like, oh, you want another prove it deal so you can cost us more next summer? Cool, five million. 
that that would be my negotiating ploy. Like I'd be comfortable going higher than that, but what's in it for yeah. the Red Wings, right? Like, all right, you, I, we get it. You've had injuries. You want a full year to prove to us how good you are. Translation: You want a full year to up your next contract that we'll give you next year. Okay, but you're going to give us some savings this year, so we can take on an extra bad contract or something like that. Now, if Mantha wants to go five, six, seven, eight years, okay, then you're bumping up that that cap hit by two three million comfortably so i mean i if i'm eiserman at this point you're i'm betting you're not getting mantha cheaper than you will this summer because if he does have another big year that is not going to decrease his contract we're in the middle of a pandemic we're in a league where everybody's panicking because of the essential flat cap you're not getting him cheaper than you will right now do not risk it. And and it, I say do not risk it. Like the, the big risk here would be Mantha pops off for 90 points this year, which isn't a bad thing, but then you got to pay him as a 90 point score. So I'd rather pay him as a 50, 60 point score right now, ideally. And I'd rather pay him as a 50, 60 point score long-term because then if he doesn't progress and he keeps getting injured, okay, fair value. But if he does find some consistent health and he keeps producing the ways produced, great. You've got... Uh, 70, 80 point player on a bargain. Yeah. My thing with Mantha is I always find myself saying like, I cannot wait till this guy has a healthy year because I just want to see what he can do. But you look at his skill set, you look at his body of work, you look at his underlying numbers. When this guy is, is on the ice healthy and is on a streak, we all have said at some point, Mantha might be the most skilled player on this team. More so than Larkin, more so than anyone else. If we're just talking talent, I'll still make that argument. I'll never not make that argument. You look at his underlying numbers. Like I looked at his um, on-ice impact like through uh, Mike McCurdy's hockey viz. The guy's a force. The guy is a force. He drives offense to the point where like he actually contributes to team defense. Like when he ha- When he's on the ice, the puck is in the offensive zone. And he has shot impact. He has offensive. Like he's not. I don't think there's a risk of this guy if he can stay healthy being an absolute terror to play against. I don't see him as as being unlikely to score forty goals in a full season. I don't see him as being you know uh, having no chance at ninety points ever. Like no, I I think his ceiling is is up there. And I think it's really high. So I agree with you. If if Eisenman can sign him long term, there's a good chance he gets him at a great bargain. But just because we want him to be healthy doesn't mean he'll stay healthy. No, we can't. But again, And that's the risk. But if he doesn't stay healthy, it sucks. But you don't eat cap hit on LTIR. It sucks. It's wasted money. Maybe just make sure you insure his contract. But... I I mean, I don't get super worked up about injury history because you have ways around that. And and the thing with Mantha, and you kind of alluded to it, so obviously Mantha doesn't have Larkin's insane intangibles where he's the most competitive person in the league. Like Larkin's a freak when it comes to that, and and it's hard to compare anybody to him. But if we ignore that and we just look at them as players, their tools, their skill set, and all that, does Anthony Mantha have a weakness? He's a great skater, best shot on the team. He's got incredible hands, an absolute force on the cycle, positive defensive impacts, good playmaker. He has everything you want in an NHL player. Everything. Breaks his except, hands too much. Except health. 
Yeah. That that's that's it. Now again, it's not like he's mega elite at some of these uh, some of these tools. Like he doesn't have Patrick Kane's hands. He doesn't have you know Steven Stamkos' shot. Yeah, but but he's in the upper tier of all these tools. Yeah. And and the and you put that all in a six foot five player. No, you if if you like it, you put a ring on it. <laughs> Remember when Toronto was trying to trade uh, Fnuf for Manta? <laughs> oh, did you see that one Montreal reporter who proposed Victor Mete and Max Domi for Manta? Oh, you get paid to write, and that's your opinion. Have you watched a Red Wings game? I mean, Mantha has torched Montreal. I know you've seen what he can do. If you think that deal is even remotely fair, if you were Montreal trying to get Anthony Mantha, your offer better start with Nick Suzuki. I I actually tweeted around the time when all these Mantha things started to come up again. Mantha is to Montreal as like Demko is to Detroit. Like fan bases fixate on certain players that they, you know, fantasize of bringing over and then they drum up trades, which are like almost always a low ball. And that's just the way it goes. But I just cannot help but laugh at so many of the, so many of the Montreal ones. Look, I'm not sleeping on Max Domi. I think Max Domi is actually kind of underappreciated. He was playing on Montreal's fourth line for parts of the playoffs. I am not trading him for Mantha in any reality. Yeah, there's not really a lot of, there's no appreciation for Mantha around the league. And that's because, I mean, the guy can't stay healthy for too long. So I, I don't blame a lot of people for that. But Montreal fans are fully, or Montreal is, is fully aware of who Mantha is as a player. And it's just so, whenever those trade offers start to float around, I think, man, this must be what people think about us <laughs> when we talk about, you know, getting Demko or whatever, this player or another. Yeah, but we're looking at taking on garbage contracts. We're not looking at taking on a team's one at like arguably best player. It's not like we're calling up Vancouver. Hey, that Pedersen fella looks interesting. Yeah, what if we give you DeKaiser in two seconds for Pedersen? That's deal. That's fine. Uh, all right. Well, we'll make it a twenty twenty one first. It's it's fine. Yeah, that's okay. Oh man, don't uh, let us forget about the Arizona thing. Oh yeah. We forgot about that. Anyways, uh, Fabry's extension, fantastic. Um, we're probably going to see, I, I don't want to say soon. You never know how these negotiations go, but um, I mean, before the end of the year, so within the next four months, we're likely going to see the um, Bertuzzi and Mantha deals come through, as well as the other swath of other RFAs. We're going to find out whether or not they're going to be part of the Red Wings' future. That said, uh, other Red Wings news, Philip Zadina tearing it up in... The Czech Republic, two goals in the first period of his first game over there. Hell yeah. I mean, you watch the goals and it's like, it's like Evans beer league hockey. The goalie yeah. has one arm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like on his back. Like he took the shot and I saw the goalie like set up and like jump to drop. It's not the world's best hockey, but hey, it's hockey. It's happening. Shaking off the rust. You'd rather see him score that than not score then, that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Swedish players, um, uh, some Swedish prospects, and then, of course, Lucas Raymond. um, Some other notable uh, prospects have started playing. So, 
it's it's good that international hockey is kicking up and we can start to get eyes on these guys um you guys have asked before you know what would need to happen for lucas raymond to move into the top three and the answer there is absolutely torch all hockey until the draft so we'll see what happens um but it was nice. The Fabry news and the Zadina double goal, the two, Zadina two goal game came on the same day. So it was nice to have a little bit of Red Wings positivity. It was nice to have Red Wings news, but it was nice to have Red Wings positivity. So much appreciated from both um, or all three from Zadina, Eisenman, and Fabry. It was nice. Okay. Um, before we get into Arizona, let's talk about the trade. It came about on Tuesday afternoon, Monday afternoon. What something day earlier. Is it? it doesn't Thursday. matter. It uh August twenty fifth. Okay, so yeah, Tuesday afternoon. Pittsburgh traded or Toronto traded Casperi Kapanen. And uh that's notable because, you know, Toronto is you know, the hockey media is always circling Toronto and that team needs to make changes, et cetera, et cetera. They're up against the cap. They need to make moves. What are they going to do to clear cap? They traded Casper Kapanen, and it came out that he was going to Pittsburgh. So immediately everyone was laughing because the other trade that Toronto made last summer was Patrick Marlowe to the Hurricanes and a first, basically just to clear cap space, which is the 13th overall pick this year. So everyone was saying, oh, my God, this is going to be another awful deal. Please let it be Jack Johnson coming the other way. The full deal is Kasperi Kapanen, Pontus Aberg, and uh, Jesper Lindgren in exchange for this year's first round pick from Pittsburgh, which they just chose to keep and send, instead of sending to Minnesota. And that's 15th overall. Philip Hollander, Evan Rodriguez, and a guy named David uh, Warzowski. Who, Jim Rutherford. For why did you do this? In the, te- in the words of Team America World Police, sometimes you're the dick and sometimes you're the asshole. <laughs> it's, yep. And someone posted all of Jim Rutherford's trades in the last five years. And um, outside of one trade, he was very much one end of that on all of them. He is not good at this. Look... I, I don't understand Jim Rutherford. He's an enigma. Like, he makes all of these awful trades and, you know, signs Jack Johnson to a long-term deal and is just completely off the board and then wakes up and wins another cup that year. And I get it. When you have Crosby and Malkin, that does a lot of the work for you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not... He did not get Crosby and Malkin. He inherited Crosby and Malkin. He gets almost no credit for those cups in my mind. And it sounds bad to say but that'd be like giving ken holland credit for the 98 cup okay he literally inherited a stanley cup championship team and they won a stanley cup championship i mean anybody could have done that as long as you don't fire all your best players into the sun which worst gms have done uh hi mike milbury um this is just like i get what pittsburgh's doing trading for kesbury Kapanen, and they're in their stanley cup window and they are going to be in their Stanley Cup window until Crosby and Malkin retire. And that's just reality. Kasperi Kapanen's broken 40 points in the NHL once. He's never been a point-per-game player in the NHL or the AHL. He was, again, at about a 45-ish point pace this year. Missed a couple games due to injury. Actually, not even just under 45 points. He's a fine player. 
He's fast, not the highest hockey IQ. He'll chip in a couple goals, not an elite playmaker, but also not bad at that either. He'll fit in with Crosby and Malkin just fine. Do you know, given one year of patience, do you know who else would have fit in just fine with Crosby or Malkin? Tanner Pearson? Likely who the hell ever you pick at 15. (laughs) Honestly, what are you doing? doing like there there's a trade for the sake of making a trade and if the penguins brought in kasperi kapanen and didn't give up their first round pick they could have given up just about anything and i would have been like okay yeah i I get it philip hollander is not a bad prospect either there's an outside chance philip hollander turns into kasperi kapanen yeah honestly like they have very similar skill sets hollander was a second round pick so it's not like he came out of nowhere i it's He was like one of the Pittsburgh's what top three or four prospects as well. Yeah, and and Pontus Aber going the back the other way is not a nothing player. He's shown flashes in the NHL, but he's been on waivers multiple times. If you really like Pontus Aberg, you would have had him already. You could have just claimed him a couple times. The, the this 15th tr- overall pick in this draft is just that's too hot of a commodity to be throwing around at a player who's had more below replacement level years than years playing to the top of his talent. Yes, he's young. Yeah, he might pan out. But the fact that he's had not a strong trajectory so far, even if you believe he's going to turn into who he can be, you do not pay full price for him. You do not. And if you can't get him for cheap, then you don't trade for him. You try to find another him. Because you know what Kasperi Kapanen is right now, based on how he's playing within the, like, the last year or so of hockey? Replaceable. Someone said what's worth, or it was actually Prashanth who asked, what's worth more? The 15th overall pick to Toronto. The 15th overall pick or Kasperi Kapanen. And I said the 15th overall pick, just by virtue of the fact that Toronto can replace Kapanen's impact, even if the 15th overall pick turns out to be dog shit. They can just replace his impact internally. They're going to just promote Nick Robertson, and that will probably do better for them. And let's not forget about the key component to this for the Leafs right now, who are royally screwed, is all that Kasperi cap space that they freed up like what stop helping toronto stop Stop. helping toronto why do teams help good teams i don't i don't get it like you're pittsburgh you're in your cup window do you know what team could present a problem to you in the conference finals toronto like i i'm i always argue against that whole in division garbage but you just gave a team that might pose a problem to you in the playoffs, the cap space to get a right-handed defenseman that they sorely need. Like you can't be serious. Like value in this trade aside as catastrophically one-sided as it was, it doesn't even make sense from a competitive standpoint. You could have got players like Kisberry Kapanen for a lot cheaper. 15th overall. Now you don't have your first round pick this year or next year. Again, I'm not betting Pittsburgh falls off a cliff next year. There's no arguing Kapanen makes them better in the short term. Um, So they're going to be a top 10 team in the league next year. So I don't think they're super heartbroken about that. But if people thought that the wheels came off on the bus in Detroit aggressively and rapidly, the decline of the Pittsburgh Penguins when Crosby and Malkin requ- retire is going to be written about and talked about for the next hundred years. And this is the organization that can't survive 
not moving without having an absolute top-of-the-line superstar. This franchise is in for a world of trouble. They better win the next three Stanley Cups. What is it? They keep mortgaging futures, have drafted in the first round like once or twice in the last however many years, blah, blah, blah. Once all their superstars retire, they're going to suck and feel the pain of all their past transgressions. Yeah, it's essentially the Detroit Red Wings formula just without, oh, no, they have bad contracts too. They have some anchor contracts. Jack Johnson's not like... Brandon Tanev. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, Yeah, they drafted, they had a first round pick last year. And then before that, it was 2014 when they took Kasperi Kapanen. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Jim Rutherford, you absolute wild child. Thank you for existing. Thank you for bringing light into my life. Um, I appreciate you. I applaud you. Um, I, I envy you. You have three Stanley Cups. Um, I don't pity you. And Pittsburgh, yeah, like Brad said, you hang on to these years now. And look, if let's say Detroit didn't have the cups that they did, if you ask any team who had fewer cups than than Pittsburgh has, especially since you know the turn of the millennium, any team would kill to be in this situation because that means they'd have three cups. But still, the next however many years. That's what we're living right now as Red Wings fans. I still it's not going to be nice. It's not going to be nice. I still can't get over the value of this deal for Pittsburgh. Like, what are they thinking? Like, he's a 40-point scorer. Could you imagine if instead of today, us talking about Fabry's contract extension, we're talking about we had the 15th overall pick because we just traded Fabry to Pittsburgh. We'd be doing backflips for a month for a guy who in a points-per-game pace was essentially Kasperi Kapanen this year, if not a bit better. Like, also staggering. Despite being older, like recognizing that, Evan Rodriguez makes less money and had a better impact than Kasperi Kapanen did last year. Uh, and what's, can what's play what, center. What's Rodriguez's contract situation? He's got one more year at $2 million. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's great value. Yep. Stop. He's... I he's my age. It, like he's yeah. he's twenty, or he's almost he's he's. Oh my god, I'm old. Oh god, he'll be no. Shut he, up. He, Quarter life crisis coming in. No, he's 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 young. He's still twenty seven. So like the guy's still working in his prime, and he can play center. Like he can play where you want a Casper Cabinet to play. I hate that I can't just sit here and dump on Pittsburgh because I'm also upset that they helped Toronto. Why can't? Why do teams I have to? I hate trade with each other. It makes me sad no matter what happens. What have we been saying? There are going to be so many teams absolutely boned by this flat cap that Detroit is going to have so many opportunities to squeeze good assets out of them. Toronto wasn't the only one, but the fact that Toronto turned around and not only got cap space, but better assets than they offloaded just makes you think, well, shit, I have no hope for anything now because there's no rhyme or reason. This is an absolute circus. This is why, look, the biggest takeaway I have, if you're a new GM or you're a budding GM or you're in a, you want to be a GM or you're a GM who listens to this podcast, you know, one of many, of course, here's the single biggest takeaway. And I think both of you have said this before. The only thing you have to do to be successful is call the bad GMs and call them constantly. And that's it. Eventually, they'll mess up. 
and they won't get fired for a long time because hockey loves its hockey men. So guys like Chirelli and Rutherford and people who constantly lose in these trades are going to stay in position, decision-making positions for too long, and you can milk them for all it's worth. Kyle Dubas overpaid to get rid of Patrick Marlowe. It didn't pan out. And then not only did he get to have the, the, the loss come out in the wash, he brought back essentially almost the same pick. He brought back decent assets with it. A great prospect and a player who can make the same impact that Kapanen did now. And cap space. I it, No. The most stupid take I've seen about this is that, uh, oh, Pittsburgh didn't have, uh, they weren't expecting to have that first round pick. So giving oh. it away was essentially, God. <laughs> it's, it's like they didn't lose anything. I'm like, bro, that's not. I that, saw that. And I, oh that ain't God. it. <laughs> so what's your excuse next draft then? <laughs> hey, you know, we weren't expecting to have nice things. So it's good to continue to suck. Hey, I just won the lottery. You know what I'm going to do with this money? I'm going to set it on fire. And hey, Brad, look at that. I bet you'll feel. Ju- I bet you'll feel just fine tomorrow. I'll be very warm all night. <laughs> all right, um, Arizona. So the NHL. For those of you who don't know, Arizona was in some trouble, not for the usual reasons, but essentially they got caught. Um, working out and interviewing and and uh, evaluating prospects in a manner that was uh, deemed illegal by the NHL's rules and regulations on how you can do so with future prospects. There are specifically facilitated um, methods of evaluating those prospects, and you're not allowed to do things like host them for private workouts and you know don't know I don't know the nitty gritty of the exact rules, but essentially is like. It's not fair. It's not a fair playing field to all the teams if you're doing this and, you know, paying them to do it or whatever it is. And so it's a big no, no. I know, I know you can like talk to guys and interview them and talk to agents, but you can't work them out and get them on the ice and stuff. Arizona got busted for doing this for quite a few prospects. The whole story got kind of swept under the rug because, um, this virus came over and the world shut down. But anyhow, the NHL finally made its ruling and, uh, I was shocked. I was really, really shocked. I can't remember who tweeted at us, but they essentially tweeted at you and I, Brad, the almost the exact like months punishment. ago. Yeah, months like, ago. And we were both it. like we were both like, no, nah, that's that's too heavy. I don't think that'll be it. And they they rocked it. I'm gonna try to find your handle. You deserve the recognition. Um but seriously, it was it was remarkable because it, it was uh JJ Hankey. Yeah, it was JJ Hankey. Um this year's second round pick and next year's first round pick. That's punishment. That's a massive. I mean, that's a huge fine for a team that might well be in the lottery next year. <laughs> I mean, they would have been in the lottery this year if it wasn't for the wonky playoff system. Um, I mean, it's nice because now the Red Wings have four second round picks this year. Mm-hmm. not technically but actually because hey their final second round pick and their third round pick and obviously the rest of the picks get bumped up a spot but now that third round pick is technically pick 62 so in a normal hey, year, counts hey in a normal year that's four second round picks <laughs> but um yeah and then next year's i mean it they if they want to win now they lose trading power if they do want to slow play this and take the assets there well they just lost them I mean, John Chaka just whew, 
What a mess he left this team. Jesus. <laughs> Good time to bolt, honestly. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Taylor's probably not re-signing. <laughs> Bye. We're getting um, our two massive draft picks taken from us. Yeah, I'm going to go work for the Pagulas in Buffalo. Yeah, geez. has that? Do we know where he's working yet? I don't. I thought it was New Jersey, no. but I've not heard anything. I haven't heard anything solidly. Yeah. No. So, I mean, the NHL did not screw around on this one, and it's literally every other team's gain. I'm happy the NHL came down strong. I'm I'm pretty proud of the way the leagues handled this. I'm actually pretty proud of the like. The beginning of this episode aside, I mean, I'm that's still all a cloud to me at this point. Um, from putting together this bubble and running the playoffs and handling this decision on Arizona, the league has acted decisively and in a way where I'm like, you are doing things that are actually for the betterment of the game right now. Like they just levied such a heavy punishment that no team is going to dare do this again. Oh yeah, zero chance. You'd be insane to do this. And they finally grounded their bratty son, who's always asking for money. <laughs> they finally did it. Good for them. It must have been hard to do too, because like Arizona needs help as a as a franchise. Like they're always on the cusp, and the the NHL didn't pull punches, and they said like, "Hey, cut this shit out." not cool everyone's on a level playing field here you do not get any kind of concerted advantage i'd be curious to know more about who who ran this whether this was a chica thing whether this happened at the the amateur scouting level only whether this came from the top i don't know but still good on the nhl (laughs) sucks for coyotes fans it has not been a good time for them the past few weeks and they, uh, they got to play a playoff series yeah that's true they did they were there so that counts um and they got to see the kachina more than they anticipated and they're from pretty much from the time they saw the kachina to now it was all kind of downhill they won their series but besides that um okay i know we were supposed to do a prospect profile but we are hitting the hour mark here so do we want to push that prospect profile and find a way to squeeze it in later and just jump into overtime sure we'll do a we'll double up next episode because after that the prospect profile formula gets shifted yeah we'll double up and also keep an eye out um over the next couple days we'll do the announcement of the card winners i'm sorry today got a a little bit frenzied obviously with news happening almost as we were recording um it kind of shifts the the plan down so as brad just alluded to we are approaching the draft believe it or not we're like a month and a, a week away a month and a couple weeks away so we are going to start doing the biggest of big names we are going to be doing pretty much all detroit's likely draft uh picks in terms of who can go at number four and at 32 um and that's going to be the heavy stuff you're going to see a lot more deep dives in the weed stuff on that so um look forward to that over especially over the course of september and early october and we're excited to get into it but for now overtime which on this midweek episode of the winged wheel podcast is uh patreon exclusive so our way of saying thank you for supporting the show you guys are the reason why we can continue to have this show uh especially during quarantine and and you know no red wings hockey for a while uh your your local winged wheel podcast patron is the reason why we can get on the air and be excited about the fabric extension okay 
So uh, we're going to start with Garrett TV, who says uh, Michael Jackson eating a popcorn gif. Seriously, though, I want to see more from both the players in the NHL. Mind you, I think this comment was made before today's press conference. So uh, don't hold uh, time accuracy against any of the comments here. Um, I'm not mad, but I thought the thoughts and prayers, the moments of silence don't do shit anymore. They look weak, distant and laughably tone deaf. Be a part of the change and prove you actually believe uh the equality dog and pony show you put on a few weeks ago during the restart. So that's actually good that that actually has come through. 70% of the players in the league are American or Canadian and equality is a problem with both countries, but regardless, you don't have to be an American to stand up for what's right. It's uncomfortable. It should be Change is hard, but Holy Firkin do something for the future for people who don't have a voice. Well said Garrett. And, and I hope today is, um, is a good start in, in continuing that um kyle sanders says hey guys it's been a dog's age since i commented last and i have to make up for lost ground ryan what are your thoughts on ferrari blatantly trying to run vettel into the ground i mean i'm no expert but 40 freaking laps on soft tires isn't even a joke i mean uh got im himmel it actually hurts my brain um for those of you who don't know formula one is just so dramatic um i think it's shameful and i wasn't even a huge vettel fan before this season Shame on them. He's their best strategist by far, and I'm excited for them to not have him anymore because that'll mean better things for him. Moving on to other things, you frequently talk about how teams like the Islanders are bringing back the dead puck era styles of play, and you make reference to the fact that the 90s Devils created it and bungled everything so bad that they had to change the rules to fix it. As an individual who's born in 01, I'm legally allowed to drink now. This has no bearing on anything. I just want you to feel old. Can you give a brief explanation on how, uh, one, what the Devils did to do to change play? Two, how it was so effective. And three, why should eating ass be legalized? And four, how did the league change the rules to end the era? Sorry for the long comment. Love you all. And Brad is okay, I guess. I mean, where to start? Okay, so the Devils. So the Devils were the first team to employ the essentially the neutral zone trap, which means they didn't really send any four checkers in. And if they did, it was only one and it was very light. So they had a easy out. So basically when a team was breaking out, they had to try and skate through all five devils to get to the net. Needless to say, doesn't work in the NHL. You get stopped. So the devils played severe low event hockey. And when you're playing low event hockey, it means you're not getting scoring chances against. And when you have a goalie of Martin Broder's caliber and... Ken Danico and Scott Niedermeyer on the blue line, you're going to do it very effectively and you're going to have a ton of games where the opponents only score zero, one, or two goals. And because at this time, not many teams, almost no teams other than the Devils were employing this strategy, it meant that the Devils would clog them and prevent them from getting chances, but the Devils themselves would still get chances. So, and, and they won a lot. They won a cup in 95. They were one of the top teams uh, perpetually. They were in the finals in 2000 and 2001. They won the cup again in 03. It worked. Low event, high defense hockey works. I'm not going to argue that. It's the worst kind of hockey to watch because it's meant to be low event. And when I say low event, it means low shots. And when you get low shots, it means low scoring chances. It's kind of what like what Blashill was trying to do with the Red Wings just unsuccessfully because they didn't have the talent to execute it properly. Um, 
that's what happened. So the NHL had to start calling more penalties after the lockout. They had to change the rules. They had to get rid of the two-line pass because they needed to find ways to open the game up because people went, oh my God, the Devils are winning all the time. We should do that. So it ushered in the dead puck era. And then the NHL changed all these rules to benefit the offensive teams. So teams went, oh, scoring wins again. We'll do that. And then one team would go back to the defensive style and it would work. And then copycat teams start funneling it through. And this is where we're going again. There's a reason why, what was it, 2015, Jamie Benn won the Art Ross Trophy with 87 points. Yeah, that wasn't a good year. No, and it was because of this garbage. So I'm, again, I'm not going to argue that it works, but it's why I'm rooting against the Islanders because I hope it doesn't. I don't want it to work. I want offense and skill to win out. I don't want systems and defense to win out. I want entertainment. I want I want Colorado. I want Tampa Bay. I want these teams built around speed and skill to win because those are the teams I want the rest of the NHL to copy. Um, and I'm going to put out a little bit of a devil's advocate argument here in that I don't find it boring to watch the Islanders right now. I'm actually having a lot of fun, but I know Brad doesn't think that. I've watched... Like, no hockey to me is boring. It's like obviously hyperbole and over-exaggeration. Like I still watch them. But when you compare the, I forget what night it was. I watched the Islanders and the Avs on the same night and it felt like I was watching two different sports. Honestly. Yeah. Um, Caltroit Red Flames says, Fabry returns with the same awesome picture of the otter in the water raising his hands, look, looking kind of surprised at good news, which is a, a perfect encapsulation of us. Um, Carl Y says, hi guys, I have only one real question and one general Kara comment. You already know what's coming. One, who would you pick to be the eight additional players if they extend the roster to be 31 players? As in I'm, like from Grand Rapids? I mean, it's a catch 22 because those other eight players aren't going to be playing. So I'd rather have the Joe Valenos of the world staying in Grand Rapids and playing. But let's assume there's no AHL this year. So you have to uh, just pick eight players because they don't have to play anywhere else. Um, so who wasn't on the team this year? Valeno, Valeno Rasmussen, Hiroshi, Sider are probably the givens. Yep. Um, Svechnikov. Svechnikov. Uh, Chase Mika- Pearson. Ah, McIsaac. Like this, McIsaac, is all, okay. this is all in the assumption that these guys have nowhere else to play. I'd say McIsaac. Uh, Berggren. Do we count? Giovanni Smith, or do we count him as already on the roster? I'll count him as on the roster because he was already playing there. And Chuomisto? Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, he yeah. said Rasmussen. I, I'm uh, sure I forgot someone important, but uh, you guys can. Yeah. Two, I know you already you will have already said um, everything you're going to say by the time you read this comment, but please be nice and don't hurt my feelings talking about the trade. I'm going to put on a brave face and listen to all of it. Be proud of me. Sincerely, the only Dilla Rose fan left in Detroit. Well, you'll be happy to know that we didn't make fun of you even once today. <laughs> this next comment is from Will I Punch Logan Couture again? And the, <laughs> I forgot about that. God, yeah. things have happened. <laughs> and yeah, stories that definitely never happened. And then the answer is just bet. <laughs> uh, just your average Tej says. Uh, so a few questions here. I'll keep it sweet. Um, number one: How does one get into F one? Like I know nothing about it. Okay, Netflix. 
drive to survive and then when you're done on our discord channel we have an other sports channel there's a lot of people who will bring you up to speed but first the netflix series two golf guy what's your what's your best score yeah what's just what's your best score uh i think this year was a 76 so far right. over. it was um, a mini golf course i once shot 81 on my the front nine um and last one's not a question but a statement for brad I saw a bills fan while visiting my parents they looked dead in the eyes and i immediately thought so is brad must be a bills thing stay fresh cheese bags oh it is oh it really really is um the second funniest name of today's episode is uh 2020 sucks sweaty balls says dude i'm so over this year no jokes this time let's end 2020 um screw this year it's been fully ruined recommend me one funny movie movie since i'm so over it thanks guys and i need more weed Ooh, what's a good funny movie there's lots to choose from i'm trying to think of one that's not like super recommended i'll it's not i love the other guys this is the end this is the end was good that movie was fantastic kings of summer Watch Kings of Summer. I thought Kings of Summer was hysterical. I haven't seen that one. Uh, Zach and Miri make a porno. Also no. quality. Uh, Denny OD says, hello, I have two things I want to vent about. One, America sucks right now and we don't deserve to have nice things. Uh, I actually didn't watch hockey last night after the Bucks boycotted their game. It just felt dirty. I wish they would have canceled those games last night just to show some sort of pulse. But alas, the NHL does what the NHL does. Two, I found myself rooting for the Islanders this playoffs. Despite them being boring, I just realized why. The Islanders are exactly the team that Detroiters love to root for. Hardworking, gritty, no superstar. Yes, Barzell can become one. And overall, just a blue-collar type team. I think literally blue collars, the Islanders. Um, is it blue or are they orange? Uh, who cares? Uh, it's why we like the Glenn Dennings of the world and our fascination with the grind line. The bad boy Pistons and going to work Pistons also fit this build. I guess it's weird. It's a weird Detroit psyche that's been instilled in our minds since the early auto industry days. I think he has a great point, and I think that's why a lot of people kind of clung on to Glenn Denning so much because they 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 wanted him to be a part of that. Even though to be that player specifically and only that player, you need to be part of a bigger system that fits that league's play style which is maybe why glenn denning's been dragged through the mud although glenn denning still is a great impact player like i love rooting for glenn denning um but just we don't have what the grind line was and i don't know if we can in this era anyways he says anyways enjoy canada and remember black lives matter evan pardo says should there be a lottery for arizona's forfeited draft picks and why will the wings lose if that does take place i loved how every red wings fan was like oh yeah uh oh free picks let's put them in a lottery why don't we just uh, put them in a lottery maybe the stanley cup team should get them uh no i'm happy with no lottery because like brad said moves us up we'll pick six in that lottery as well yeah somehow it'll somehow bump down our original picks uh don mitchell says what do you guys think of the fabric contract mentioned it who will they sign next my guess is mantha uh, i hope so with so many forwards can't we trade mantha to montreal for their best uh 2c and max domi think we can get their first round pick too what do you all think of arizona's punishment playoffs huh wait you probably discussed all this stuff already oops sorry for using my quarantine boredom on trolling my spotlight time i've been rummaging through cap friendly a lot lately and after hearing about that uh, the picks that Arizona has to forfeit. I noticed how they, how forked they are with their cap space as well as draft picks. According to cap friendly, they'll have 1.1 mil in cap space for next season, along with not having a pick until the late fourth. Very big. Yikes. Is there a world where Detroit trades some of their middle 
like second to middle round picks in exchange for assets from Arizona? Um, what assets does Arizona have that we would want? I mean, I, they gave up all their reasonable prospects that they would trade for Taylor Hall. I don't think they're giving up Barrett Hayton anytime soon. A lot of guys on their roster are tied down to contracts I wouldn't touch. So they won't move Christian Dvorak. Yeah, I don't. Eh, I don't see it. Get Jacob Chikram back. Oh God, Could you he's on. His contract's funny. A eh? six years at four point six. Yeah, like I would say Chikram back in a heartbeat. But I mean, back like we had him in the first place. But I, I don't see. Do you take Anti Ranta or Darcy Kemper? I mean, I would take Anti Ranta in a heartbeat. I mean, yeah, but I don't. I I would be afraid of what they would cost. Sorry, I meant Darcy Kemper. Either or, they're both great. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think the fact that they don't have their draft picks makes it almost like they would have to overpay. But you never know. They have a new GM, or they don't really have a new GM. Weird. Arizona's weird. Uh, moving on. Lastly, what monetary value do you put on first round picks? Like, how much does a contract need to be worth to include a first round pick? Also, instead of moving bad contracts around and weighing teams down that way, what are your thoughts on trading cap space outright with the flat cap for the foreseeable future? I really like the idea of teams like Detroit trading a set amount of cap space away for a specific amount of years. It allows teams like Detroit to play with prospects with ELCs and not bring in players like Lucic or Erickson to take up a roster spot. Thanks as always. Cheers, Don. I think that second point is a good way to quiet the um, no hard cap crowd because it, it would allow teams who really had the money but were really struggling with the cap to acquire like to get that space and it would give teams like detroit like it's much easier to put a dollar value on a first round pick if it's like hey four million bucks gets you a first here's four million dollars of cap space but you have to give us a first i don't know i like it Uh, i mm, yeah yeah but uh, assigning monetary value to it like it's it's it, hard. It, it, it's relative to the team that is trading it, right? Because not every million of cap space is worth the same to some teams, right? Like St. Louis, for example, right now they they want to keep Petrangelo. Like every hundred thousand dollars right now to them is like life and death. Whereas a, a team like Toronto, even though they're up against a cap, they have all their key players on contract for next year so they're not screwed if they don't get any they just have to the bottom of their lineup will suffer a little bit so not all cap space is created equal okay uh michael barry says hi guys hope all is well three things one how weird was the Logan couture story like you call the cops if someone punches you right yeah the story read yeah. from the beginning like it wasn't true but regardless, uh, weird day for Couture. Um, two, who is in a worse position from a franchise perspective, Arizona or the Panthers? But Borofsky contract and healthy scratch Michael Mathewson are uh, signed for six more years, but Arizona is going to be without picks for the next two drafts and will lose Taylor Hall. Oh, definitely Arizona. Oh, 100%. When you have a Huberto and a Barkov and you know even Ekblad, even though he hasn't really panned out to what he was supposed to be, and Bobrovsky on any given year can turn it on. Like I, I would much rather be in the Panthers position and three. Also, how would you feel about the Red Wings getting Phil Kessel? Sounds like Arizona isn't happy with him. Although I don't know what we could get back. 
I'm not keen on taking on the Kessel contract unless there was a return for it, but I don't know if they'd want to move Kessel for like for the sake of moving him. He also know. has a modified no move clause. Yeah, I'm not sure he's coming to Detroit. And Why would you leave Arizona to come live in Detroit? And he's also viewed as an asset still. Teams would want him. So which means Detroit's not getting like the type of asset we would need in a trade. Detroit's not trading for the now, they're trading for the future. Perhaps uh, uh, perhaps we could get uh Robbie Russo or Vili Sariari from them. <laughs> they look like right. uh, young budding prospects. Yeah. I think ever I don't think anyone was really too torn up about that. But again, Robbie Russo was another one of those guys who had a, a lot of big fans. He was great for Grand Rapids, right? So he had a moment in time where I thought he was gonna be a power play quarterback and then it was quickly extinguished. <laughs> I remember he remember? had a bomb from the point, but that was that was about it. You could say that about a few of our recent prospects. Sproul had a big heavy shot, never did really anything for Detroit. Third man in says, Hey boys, just disappointed and frustrated as many are. The NHL can't get things right. Canceling games for even one day yesterday would have been a simple act of solidarity. And as I write this, two hours before puck drop with the Flyers Isles game, the NHL is still dragging their heels about tonight's game in the face of Evander Kane and the Hockey Diversity Alliance's call to cancel tonight's games. I know some people say sports and politics don't mix, but when you understand why the NHL is predominantly white and college and professional basketball and football are predominantly black, politics are already there. Update, they finally did it an hour before puck drop. Too slow, but it's a start. Joseph Fornia says, Hey there, fellas, lots to say, so I'll keep my points brief. First, imagine how a young girl feels while watching the playoffs and hearing that she'd be a distraction to the players. Firk Mike Milbury, replace him with Sarah Siv. Yeah, like I said before, there's a reason we call the art segment about being angry at idiots or dumb things in Mike Milbury Minute, and it's not a celebration of him. Second, all the bars in the Upper West Side carry that shitty peanut butter whiskey, and we couldn't give that shit away if it came with a censored <laughs> avoid at all costs third the bigger story about logan couture should be that he admitted he doesn't vote remember that isaac asimov quote america has succumbed to the false notion that ignorance is just as valuable as knowledge yeah he's from guelph but this is a prime example Ah, uh, he's from guelph Ugh. no he's from saint mary's is he hmm. yeah that's where he grew up uh, and finally, as the U.S. is experiencing a period of heavy social unrest, sports should not be at the forefront. My one problem with the league canceling games is that they waited for the Hockey Diversity Alliance to formally ask for it. Get used to this. They will never take the initiative and will wait for the HDA to demand action from here on out, removing the onus of responsibility from the league. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Keep fighting the good fight and getting into good trouble. Chris Smith says, I never thought I'd see the day that Evander Kane did something better than knock Matt Cook out cold good on him if you could have a painting made like the flurry one of any other nhl player who would you pick and what's written on the sword it doesn't have to be a coach for example uh logan couture on the sword it reads datsuk or guy from tim hortons <laughs> um mike ooh. madano and it says mike babcock on the sword that you can have a well lot deserved. of people yeah jason spezza would probably have one of those as well Hmm. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs and on the sword it says Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> um, Toronto Maple Leafs and on the sword it says Boston Bruins oh that's good uh, Steve Dangle and it says Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> Mitch Marner and it says Paul Marner slash Darren Dreger 
Uh, oh, there's a lot of good ones. Um, my myself or you, Brad, and it says Evan Lobsinger. <laughs> Could be coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Whenever there's a quiet Evan episode, I always just think mm, he's saving all his good words for when he kills us and just takes a podcast for his own. The ramblings of a madman. Evan, how long could you speak solo? Um, yeah, I would have to prep a lot more, more than zero. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, don't give away all your secrets. I, I would, pre- I could, I could get probably thirty to an hour. I would. Oh just wow! Have to pre- I would have to prep significantly. I do thirty-minute talking and meetings all the time. No problem. Yeah, but I prep for those. I, it is so devastating when you have like a day full of meetings and it happens like on uh, the day of one of our midweek episodes because you're like, no I'm going to have please. like two hours of quiet today total. And it's just so upsetting. You guys get quiet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We didn't we didn't buy kids. I also work from home and can just close my door when our, my cat decides to be a, a dickhead. We need more. Uh, we need more of the cat on the show. Where is he? Uh, he's not allowed in here when uh, we're recording because as soon as he hears me talk, he just comes in and goes ham, like just screams. He does it on my work calls <laughs> all the time. Hey, that's like Brad's kids. Uh, yeah, literally this morning after I fed Hank and fed myself, Crystal and Mika were still sleeping. I was laying on the couch while Hank was playing around and I just see him crawl across the room, pull himself up on the couch, stand there face to face with me and he just looks at me blinks like twice and just goes ah <laughs> and then he sat back down and went back to his toys i've never <laughs> been more confused in my life hey he was just is speaking for all of us <laughs> uh with that we're gonna end this episode of the wound wheel podcast we will be back with you guys on sunday night thank you all for tuning in uh, thank you all again. There's been a, a big influx of people who've been giving us five star reviews on iTunes, which does a lot for getting this show some exposure. So thank you all for that. Um, our patrons, our name level sponsors, the septic tank of that bitch, Carol Baskins, Arjun Shanker, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, 2020 sucks. What was it? Sweat. Yeah. Sweaty balls. Uh, Brad Smith, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Brandon M. Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kalen Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, Obir Juan Kenobi, Trevor Pevavar, Alex Ott, Ashley Van Konick, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all so much. Take care, and we will see you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.